0: Hello, Sobertown. Let's jump on that sober train and ride into the wonderful world of sobriety. You can find all of our podcasts and more at Sobertownpodcast.com. My name is Bill W. and my co-host and partner is Kira.
1: Hello, everyone. This is the second episode of the Uncovering Happiness podcast. Our hope for this podcast is to share stories about uncovering happiness so that you might do the same in your life.
0: So, just give you a quick introduction of our interviewee today. His first name is Michael, but we are going to refer to him as Sai from here on out. Sai is his trail name, and we'll get into that a little deeper into the podcast. So Sai is a fellow Appalachian Trail thru-hiker from the AT class of 1999. He is the author of the book In the Real World I Hike, Transformation of Purpose and Self in 5 Million Easy Steps. You can find his blog at realworldhiking.com. We invited him to join us on our new podcast today.
1: And before we begin... We'd just like to take a moment for mindfulness to transition from whatever we were doing before to this present moment, and also to honor and remember the people we've known and lost by addiction or suicide, to send out compassion and faith to those who are still suffering from mental illness and addiction and self-love and compassion for ourselves. Let us begin. You so much for joining us in that moment of mindfulness, and Michael Sai, welcome! Thank you for joining us.
2: Well, thanks for having me. It's uh, always a pleasure to talk about common interests with people.
1: Absolutely. So we're going to get right in. The title of this podcast is called "Uncovering Happiness." What does uncovering happiness mean to you?
2: Yeah, that's a that's a that's a big question. Um, for me, it's two simple terms, right? Happiness. Everybody knows what happiness is, and uncovering. Well, you take something out from beneath something, but you know, happiness is kind of a weird concept. You know, it's so situational, and if you haven't really experienced happiness, you may not actually know what it's supposed to feel like. Mm. And you know, as a lot of people as they get older, and they get more complicated lives sometimes you can unintentionally suppress your own joy and sense of happiness to you know take care of everything else and you just you emotionally get buried under all of this baggage mm-hmm. and it can become really oppressive and you know it's almost like a, a nail driving you into the ground and you know the idea of you know uncovering that sometimes there's a lot to uncover and it can take a long time and you know when you get into a position where uh, like i have found myself in uh, you know where you're clinically depressed where you're so emotionally devoid of of joy and happiness it may not seem like it's possible to uncover that and it's you know being from the hiking world like all of us are it's kind of metaphorical of climbing a mountain you may know that the the peak or the summit is up there somewhere, but you can be so enshrouded in trees that you just can't see it. So you just kind of keep (laughs) plodding along, hoping that, you know, maybe, maybe it's over the next rise. There's going to be this glorious sunset and sometimes it doesn't actually happen for quite a while. So it's, you know, it's an interesting concept, you know, uncovering happiness.
0: Hmm. So I just have to, remind myself and everybody else that has like the Appalachian Trail. There are people that have no idea what the Appalachian Trail is, so I have to kind of little caveat here to that. The Appalachian Trail is a footpath that goes from Springer Mountain in Georgia to Katahdin, Maine. It's 2,200 miles of a continuous footpath through the Appalachian Mountains that people have been hiking on for uh, 70 years, 60 years, something like that. Mm -hmm. And it's a wonderful journey. And that's kind of how all three of us here are connected is through our through hikes of the Appalachian Trail. So you may hear some terms going forward that may sound foreign to you, but if you look them up, they all have to do with through hiking. (laughs) So now we got that out of the way. Um, yeah, thanks for your thoughts on what uncovering happiness is. And the the next part of the question that we have is, you know, so who are you now? Where are you on your journey to uncover happiness? And how was hiking a part of your journey? So there's a couple questions there.
2: <laughs> uh, who am I now? It's um... I think I'm a person that is still trying to figure everything out and (laughs) continuing to grow and to teach others in some small way, you know, what I've learned uh, along this kind of path of life. And I've pretty much divided my life into two segments. There's Michael, my given name, who came before the Appalachian Trail Hike. And then there's Cy, who developed on the trail and Mm -hmm. has existed ever since. And, you know, hiking the Appalachian Trail is physically, it's relatively simple. You know, if you pace yourself, if you start slow, if you learn and develop your strength over time, it's physically, it's relatively simple. But emotionally, it is very, very difficult because when I hiked, it wasn't quite as crowded as it is now. So you had much more opportunity to be alone. And when you're alone in the woods for extended periods of time, and there's nobody to talk to, you talk to yourself a lot. And sometimes mm-hmm. your brain, as you guys know, kind of carries on its own conversation at will. Mm-hmm. And it, it has an interesting way of recalling things that we have consciously forgotten and you can't really hide from it at all so
0: Hmm.
2: i was confronted with a lot of things about me that i would consider to be uh negatives you know attitude behavior beliefs things like that that i had to confront Uh, had a large problem with anger when i was younger before i hiked um and a lot of that came from uh being depressed, but I didn't know I was depressed and being in a very bad situation where I used to live and, you know, it kind of manifested with me in almost a rage and hiking. There's, there's no place for that kind of attitude. And you have to kind of, you mentioned mindfulness and being present earlier. You really have to be present and mindful of everything around you, but also your place in it when you're on a long distance trail, because you're part of this almost a symbiotic migratory culture or community Mm. that's moving up and down the trail. And I found that if I was working with the environment and the trail, things were very easy. And if I was fighting it emotionally, you know, it was a really bad day. It was hot. There was a lot of bugs. Things were very, very difficult. So I kind of developed this attitude of, you know, embracing the trail, no matter what it threw at me, you know, I was going to work with it. yeah. And that kind of helped me with a lot of things. And it also helped me recognize many of my many, many of my many flaws that I had that, you know, like I said, you you can't hide from things when you're out in the middle of the woods alone by yourself.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I would say Bill, Bill and I had very similar experiences. So it's no, it's so nice to hear from someone else. And even with so many years between our through hike journeys, um, how similar that experience is of traveling and being alone with your thoughts and having so much time to think about every, every little thing that's gone wrong, every decision you've ever made planning for the future. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's so representative of life off the trail as well, but it's a great opportunity to do a deep dive into where you land um, in the past, the present or the future. And no matter where the mind gets pulled Uh to to either of those poles, presence is going to give you the most success. And I know that in our journey, uh, we found that immediate resolve of conflict was the the best insurer of success. And, uh, and, and like what you were saying about, uh, going with the flow or embracing, embracing the suck, remember that term,
2: yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
1: you know, and it's, it's a mindset thing and it's mm-hmm. the same off trail as it is on trail. But when you give yourself that, that deep dive, um, in the journey of a through hike, it's like the the best therapy you can ever give yourself.
2: It really is. I remember having these uh, memory recalls of, you know, situations and encounters that I found myself in prior to and it was almost like an out of body experience looking down on my past self saying things to people and getting in in arguments and and just altercations that were really embarrassing being able to look at it from the outside and immediately recognizing that, you know, I was the one that was at fault, but I was unable to recognize it or even admit it at the time and completely changed the way that I communicated with people and still communicate with people. And, you know, communicating is, it's actually quite difficult to do it well, because we all have our own self-interests and our own thoughts and ideas. And, you know, of course we're always right. And, (laughs) I learned that it was okay to not be right. That it was okay to just let things go, and just to release the baggage. And it, it just made the whole experience and myself lighter. You
1: know? Yeah. It,
2: and it, being lighter, I think, is a good thing.
1: Uh huh. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Right now, um, there is a. I mean, I want. I'm going to call it a trend because it is. But it's a good thing that it's a trend. The awareness of trauma in people's lives. And um, I'm a therapist. So one of the pathways that I've been researching and following in my own practice is this idea of bilateral stimulation. And this is common in the trauma treatment of EMDR. But additionally, what's really interesting about adventure activities is that there is bilateral stimulation in the movement. And hiking is a great example of that, especially if you're using trekking poles in addition, because you're not only getting the bilateral stimulation of step right, step left, step right, step left, but you're Mm -hmm. swinging the arms too. And this um, back and forth stimulation integrates information from like, I mean, this is getting kind of heady, but Mm -hmm. I'm so excited about this and I love geeking out about it. The brain is balanced um, on either side. So memories, Uh, real or imagined memories um, get like reintegrated and processed in ways that can't always be done just sitting and ruminating. Um, So, I mean, I had that experience on the trail myself, like walking and memories coming up and all of a sudden they're being restored in a way that is now safe, you know, like signaling, like it's okay now like I can I can finally heal and move on from these things.
2: Yeah, it is it's in education, you know, I've looked at some studies about adolescent growth and brain development and behavior in the classroom and classroom management is pretty tough and a lot of teachers you know, demand that they have what they call four on the floor. All four legs of the chair have to be on the floor at all times. And a lot of students will like to rock back in their chair and balance on two legs. Mm -hmm. And there have been studies that have come out that says that it actually relaxes and balances the brain and it allows them to focus much better on what they're being stimulated with in the classroom environment. Because, you know, like trekking and you're hiking, you got the poles, you got the movement and your brain gets more balanced and, you know, other things can take a priority because the movement gets very mechanical and your brain doesn't have to worry about it as much. Kids rocking back on, you know, the back legs of their chair, it has a very similar effect on their ability to concentrate and focus on new material.
1: Yeah, I'm sure it's, they find it relaxing Mm -hmm. and and then can, um, you know, increase their attention and yeah, it's it's amazing. And I, I'm also just thinking about the tapping of a pencil. You know, how many people yeah. tap a pencil when they're test taking and, and certainly it can be considered distracting. Sure. Uh, but for some that might be the way to reduce distraction. Right. So-
2: Therapy for one is a distraction <laughs> for another.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's interesting that you talked about leaning back on a chair for students. And immediately I just like jumped back to like third through eighth grade. and. <laughs> I was absolutely that person who was rocking back on two legs of his chair. Mm-hmm. And then they started giving us the, the desks that were like chair and desk combined. So there wasn't mm-hmm. a rocking.
1: Right. Oh, I remember. And,
0: and that was really hard for me. But my way around it was I would perch in the seat. So I would like put, put my feet up on the seat and kind of like squat there inside my little like desk chair thing. And. I don't know. It was it was more comfortable, like you said. It like it helps me focus more, and yeah, it was so so interesting that that's maybe it's not okay now, but at least there's science that proves that I was <laughs> trying to relax myself.
1: Yeah, I love it the works. Dream of you perching.
0: <laughs> so, what what grade students do you teach?
2: Nine through twelve. I typically teach sociology, economics, uh, a facing history course, which is on human behavior and genocide. Uh, current world issues, public speaking, and there's probably one or two that I'm missing. But.
0: <laughs> wow, it seems like you're a well-rounded man of teaching. Yeah,
1: yeah thank you for your service to the youth.
0: Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'm going to move on to the next question here. What inspired you to become an author?
2: Wow, so yes, a couple of several things actually it did not happen overnight i i have to go back a little bit a a an amazing friend of mine actually of my whole family my wife actually he introduced me to my wife we've been together for 21 years i met him on the appalachian trail and we became very good friends we lived together in hanover for a couple of years and he was more of a brother to me than he was just a friend and his name is baltimore jack he's well known in the hiking community, but he he died several years ago. It was kind of unexpected, but we all knew that it was going, it was coming because he had pretty substantial uh, alcohol problems and he didn't want to not be an alcoholic. He had made that choice. So he was living his life the way he wanted to live it. And he lived on the Appalachian trail and he was a fixture on the Appalachian trail. But when he passed away, I, my wife and I—we immediately knew that we had to go to Trail Days in Damascus that that summer. And you know, I took a few days off of school, and my wife and daughter, Natalie, who was—he was Uncle Jack to her. Um, he met her when she was two weeks old. We went to the memorial at, at Trail Days. That uh, Miss Janet, who's a beautiful woman, Trail Angel, just a wonderful, wonderful human being. She helped uh, put on the memorial for Jack and a couple of the other hikers that had passed away. And uh, there's a. Pretty in-depth story about what took place at the memorial that involved probably one of the most amazing examples of trail magic that i'm aware of but we met a man who spent the last several weeks uh, of jack's life with him and he told us about a couple of stories uh that he had t- told him about us and natalie that we weren't aware about and uh, but during the memorial People were getting up and they were talking about you know their uh relationships with with jack and and the others and i at the time i was very hesitant to speak publicly i don't really didn't really like to share my emotions um and i looked over at my daughter and she was looking at me and she had this look in her face that said dad you have to tell our story about uncle jack So I got up, and I told our story, and that led to us meeting a man named Solace, Um, He was a thru-hiker, and he told us stories about Jack that he told him, and that kind of set in motion this idea that somebody needed to tell Jack's story, because Jack had millions of stories, but he never Mm -hmm. wrote anything down. And you know, I wanted to try to leave him some kind of a memorial as best as I was capable of. And the actual book writing didn't take place until a couple of years later when I started. It took about two and a half years to actually write this manuscript because so I decided not long after that I was going to get a doctorate in education at starting at the age of fifty, which is a terrible idea, um, especially. Yeah, it was just an awful idea. I don't know what I was thinking, but also in the middle of, of researching my dissertation for my doctorate, I was like, you know, this is gonna be a great time to start writing my book. So I was, <laughs> Cause I was finding things during the research for my dissertation that really resonated with through hiking and the experiences of through hiking. And it just kind of all came together. And so I was researching and writing a dissertation and researching and writing this manuscript at the same time. Um, so it was just, and. You know, it took quite a while to sort of come to fruition, but it was a it was a difficult book to write because I was writing about someone who meant a lot to us and means mm-hmm. a lot to a lot of people. And he's also a legend of the A.T. So it was a little bit of a little bit of a, a challenge and a bit of pressure to try to get it as right as I possibly could. But you know, what I wrote was is 100% genuine and honest and sincere, and it reflects who. Jack was you know there have been other things written about him in his previous life as Adam which have nothing to do with Jack you know he was two different people just like I was he was Adam before his hike and he became Jack during and after his hikes so I, I was writing about Jack what I would like people to know about him um, and it's almost a yeah. so I, I you know I gotta say I, my daughter she's to blame for this book yeah I'm, I'm blaming her <laughs> for it because she he's, sort of kicked smiling. everything in motion.
0: <laughs> yeah, you blame her, but you're smiling as you say yeah, that. Yeah, she's, she's, she,
2: she's my hiking partner and yes. uh, she's 16 now and a junior in high school. So I think our days of hiking together a lot are, are kind of getting numbered as she gets older. So,
0: wow. Is there something you want to share about Baltimore Jack that people? who have no idea about hiking, maybe? So, no?
2: sure. Baltimore Jack, his name is L.A. Jack Tarlin. Uh, Tarlin is his actual last name. His trail name, Baltimore Jack, he took from the Bruce Springsteen stong.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and, you know, huge Bruce Bruce Springsteen fan. But Jack, he hiked it eight consecutive years, the AT. And Other people have hiked it more times but nobody's hiked it that many consecutive times and he lived and breathed and died the Appalachian Trail. Mm -hmm. It was his life he you know having spent two uh, winters with him in Hanover um, you could see the transformation come over him and as spring began to get closer he got more and more excited and would spend weeks planning his next hike and you know it was it even though he did it so many times every single time it was something new to him and i asked him you know i was like why do you hike the same trail over and over and over and he said you know I haven't been to this spot when it was sunny. I haven't been Mm. to this town on a weekend. I haven't been to this place, you know, when the flowers were blooming. And he said, Mm. you know, every time I go out there, it's different. And I meet different people. And, you know, he was really about the experience. And when he stopped hiking, he worked at hostels, he worked at Outfitters up and down the trail. For many years, he would return to Hanover for the winter. Um, And, you know, he completely immersed himself in the Appalachian Trail and in the community. And he was a fixture on the AT and literally encountered tens of thousands of hikers. Um, throughout the course of his hiking career and he he could be a very polarizing guy some people loved him like I did other people absolutely hated him Uh, (laughs) there there was very little middle ground and ambiguity with Jack and you know he just had a million stories and they were all for the most part true and some of the most you know, absurd and crazy stories about the AT, you know, involved him in some capacity. And I was there for a few of them and I've heard about many others and, you know, he's, I got the title from my book from him. And, you know, it was coming from talking to a guy down in the Southern part and, you know, he finished the conversation up with a day hiker and the guy asked him, so what do you do in the real world? And he said, sir, in the real world, I hike. Mm. And, yeah, I, I didn't really understand late till later on you know that there were there's different forms of the real world and you know there's the real world that we take for granted that we're in all the time and then there's the real world that maybe has a lot more meaning you know it's kind of like the social self and the essential self you know the social self is what we put out there for everybody else and do for everybody else and our essential selves are those things that we do for ourselves and a lot of times we forget to take care of ourselves we get wrapped up in working and paying bills and you know abiding by certain schedules and you know at the end of the week sometimes there's not enough left of us for us mm-hmm. and if we're, if we're not really taking care of ourselves then we may not be able to be of much use to those people that we you know actually love and care about so it's, a, it's about balance you know and jack kind of went to the extreme he he com- completely eliminated that other world. He came from you know corporate background, you know ridiculously well educated. Uh, he completely separated himself from that other world. I try to bridge the two and kind of go back and forth as much as I can. But
0: well, wow, that's such a great story. I really appreciate you telling us and everybody else that. And you know, you started off by saying he he did eight consecutive hikes for eight years. And when you said that, I just got this full body calm that just overtook me. And like, I know I can't hike for eight years in a row, but I know what six months does to me. And wow, like that, that must've been such a beautiful experience for him to, to just be there and, you know, to, to, to watch the flowers in one place and miss them in the next, but being like, well, next year, I'm going to go try to see them again.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, he had a very serene existence. He was a minimalist.
1: Hmm.
2: Um, You know, he didn't need much at all to be happy. He was, I guess, by definition, homeless for most of his life. (laughs) Interesting. you know, homeless in the sense that long distance hikers are homeless. You know, we, sure.
0: That's why I know. laugh because that's that's yeah. what we were. Yeah. You know, we, we just I don't know.
2: I don't know about you guys, but I I had never felt a sense of belonging or home like I did when I hiked the AT.
1: Exactly. You yeah. Know, with
2: with just a backpack, you know, so much comfort and satisfaction and contentment with just those things that we carry with us from one day to the next.
0: Yeah, yeah. And the feeling of if you're by yourself and you're sleeping, you've been sleeping in a shelter by yourself for the past like four days. And then mm-hmm. you realize that you might spend a night with another person, <laughs> like how, how wonderful that could be. Mm-hmm. It's just like, Oh my God, I get to talk to somebody else. Like whoa, I get to share my feelings. Like I don't yeah. have to read the log book to get my, my kicks of like you know social being Mm -hmm. um yeah yeah it's it's such a beautiful place out there where kind of brings me back to what you said in the beginning there's there's like nothing else that matters when you're on that trail you you forget about all the other stuff because you have to like you can't you can't worry about who you were yesterday what you're gonna do tomorrow because tomorrow's gonna be the same thing as it was yesterday you're just gonna walk forward And it's, it's, it's so like, you know, it's, it's very black or white in the hiking world. It's just like, you have to go do that. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the time in, in the non-hiking world, I can't call it the real world because that doesn't really mean anything. Just that Mm -hmm. other place. Um, Yeah. Yeah. The other place that we, everybody lives day to day doing all the things humans do, you know, you can forget about, what, what it's like to to not actually have to do anything other than like a few things mm-hmm. such as walking eating and finding water every day like when don't you break it down to those simple things mm-hmm. it's a lot easier to work through those those emotions that you've covered up over the years
2: yeah and the idea of going forward is it, it's a necessity, I think, on long distance trails. And, you know, I've talked to a lot of hikers, I'm sure you've talked to even more, you know, the idea of when, you know, your first four weeks on the trail, you know, you, you look at a map and, and literally you've gone nowhere. <laughs> and you know, I think a lot of people look at all of the, the distance that they still have to go to get there and it becomes overwhelming. Very, very well. I was walking away from everything, so I had nothing to go back to. Literally, nothing to go back to. So I was looking at it as, "Wow, I've got that much more I get to go. Yeah, this is be great." I was like, "Wow, I've come this far, but look how much farther I get to go." all of the things that I get to see and people that I get to meet and, you know, experiences. And maybe I'm going to actually find my happy out there somewhere. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was my goal is I wanted to figure out, one, could I actually be happy? And was there a place out there where I could do it and experience it and be a part of it? Because I really didn't know what the heck it felt like.
1: Yeah, I love that idea of, I get to do this. I get to do this challenge. I get to do this struggle. I get to be out here in the rain or whatever it might be and seeing it as, um, the privilege that it is. And so many people see it as a burden. Um, even people who choose to go out and do that, um, they complain and there's, you know, one of two ways to do a through hike. And one is to see it as a blessing and a way to get closer to your happiness or your true self. And the other is some um, thing that you need to overcome or conquer and what a uh, colonialized version of, of hiking that is to, to, you know, to only see that, you know, I must make it to the sign at the end and forget every one of those 5 million steps to get there. And I just, You know, I really would like to return to that idea of the real world because so many people say, either you know, those who are on the trail um, or people asking you questions along the way, of, um, you know, what is it going to be like when you get back to the real world? And we have corrected so many people because I think we share this sentiment that Mm -hmm. this is the real world. Yep. Um, And you know, maybe your life before was also. The real world, depending on how you chose to live your life, but but going out on this journey was more real than anything else that I had ever done. Mm
2: So, yeah, it you know, a privilege, a gift, you know, whatever we want to apply to it, as far as labels, it really is that because so few people have the opportunity to do something like that, or they have uh, obstacles that prevent them from seizing the opportunity to go out and do something like that. And I think fear is one of those big obstacles. You know, Mm -hmm. I I had people that, you know, said I was being irresponsible. I was throwing my career away. I was doing this, I was doing that. And I was like, you guys just don't get it. It's already gone. I was like, I have nothing to lose. And, you know, I'm, I have to go do this or I'm not going to be alive in a year. Mm
1: -hmm. And
2: the, it, it's a transformational process like it, part of my book title but you know talk about the the goal to get to Katahdin for me that wasn't the goal at all in the journal in Springer Mountain I wrote full page and the last thing I said was you know I have envisioned myself on Mount Katahdin Maine my hike is complete I just have to hike it I've talked mm-hmm. the talk now I will walk the walk so I had already decided that my hike was done And all I had to do was do it. And so getting to Katahdin was never the goal. It was, I know I'm gonna get to Katahdin, but what am I gonna learn along the way? Mm. And what am I going to find along the way? Because I needed a home, because I had no home. (laughs) I had recently, I literally, I, I walked away from my house. I mailed my mortgage company, the keys to my house. And I said, I'm going for a really long walk and I'm not coming back. So do whatever you want to with it. That's exactly what I said to him. Wow. And I quit my job. I got, had gotten divorced. That was part of the catalyst to go for a really long walk. And, you know, I, I didn't just burn the bridges. I blew them up. And <laughs> so for me, there was no going back. And I told my friends and my family that cared. I said, you know, I am going to complete this journey or die on the trail that's it. There's no other options. And yeah. fortunately, I'm still alive, which is good. Um, <laughs> and it, so it was, for me, I, I relieved myself of that burden um, and I made that emotional commitment to it. And so that was, it was a different thing. But, you know, the real world, man, it's, there's different places because when you have all of those social burdens on you, it, it it's not a world that is often you know, full of happiness and joy. So if you can find a place that you can forget about them or just get rid of them for a while, you know, it really helps to recenter and refocus you know, what's important, which for me mm-hmm. is you know, getting back out on the trails as much as I can in the White Mountains or elsewhere. That, even if it's just for three or four hours, you know, I can bring myself right back to that feeling of balance. And taking my daughter out hiking since she was three, I've seen her able to recognize and embrace those feelings as well. And for her to be able to understand that there's, you know, the real world out in the woods when you're hiking or doing other things, and then there's the real world that you're socially active in with others. uh, Outside of that, you know, you can be two different people and kind of, you know, split the difference if you need to, but she, she's incredibly confident and comfortable and happy when we're out hiking, even in the less than ideal environmental circumstances. Um, So, you know, she's so far ahead of me in her emotional health and even recognizing emotional health than I was. It's, I'm happy for her. And, you know, if I don't know, maybe that was my ultimate, you know, duty as a human being is to be able to convey that kind of experience to you know a another person you know, and yeah. watch them develop.
0: Yeah, yeah I'm I'm super grateful that you had the opportunity to take another human being out there and and watch them because you know I, I fear that that way of life may be lost in the future where We all just might be stuck in our cell phones forever and people won't know what the outside is unless it's virtual reality and Mm -hmm. it's terrifying what it will do to humans as an emotional social animal
2: yeah there's i got the opportunity to talk to quite a few veterans um, that are using the outdoors in a variety of ways to work through trauma and ptsd and other issues that they have you know developed because of you know their special situations. And it seems like this common denominator that the natural world can provide so much healing and so much, um, you know, opportunity and environment to be yourself without fear of, you know, unfair judgment, you know, because we're all Mm -hmm. afraid of, you know, people looking at us strange or, you know, thinking poorly of us. And, you know, you guys know, when you're sitting around a campfire in the middle of the woods and you've been hiking for two <laughs> months everybody looks the same smells the same they eat the same kind of junk there they yeah. the social hierarchy is you know it's kind of <laughs> whittled down to who has the coolest spork or something yeah you
0: know,
2: yeah. You know nobody cares <laughs> if you're us <a>, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. so it, it's just i think there's something to be said about um balance and using or allowing nature to be a part of your overall health and well-being.
1: Yeah, Mm. absolutely. Um, so this journey to uncover happiness, um, Mm -hmm. we've, we've been inspired to keep this just an open-ended, um, question really, because there, there isn't, there isn't one answer. Mm -hmm. And, um, outdoors and nature and hiking and all these things are certainly ways to uncover happiness. And I just love how this conversation is, is really showing that the simplicity of being out there really like with having just a few items in a backpack helps to uncover that. And it's, it's inspiring, um, to hear about sharing that with your daughter and, it's just, it's so beautiful. I, I love that we can get closer and closer to, to figuring out, um, you know, the answer to this question. I don't know if there is one, but yeah, it's beautiful to, to talk about it.
2: Yeah. I, my daughter, I, the, the minute that I knew my daughter got it, we were, it was probably four years ago. Now we were hiking up in the white mountains in New Hampshire here. A truly awful trail. This Great Gully Trail goes up the back of I think Mount Matt Adams or Mount Jefferson. Super, super steep. It's probably a forty-degree vertical climb, and the trail is it's it's just an awful, really really rugged, difficult trail. And we're about halfway up, and there's about twelve hundred feet below us to the valley floor, and it's so steep you can just put your arm out to the side and lean up against the side of the trail, and we're getting ready to move because the trail is actually crumbling underneath us because there's so much water flowing down that side of the mountain. And I said, we need to move forward a little bit so we can get to some more solid ground. She's like, yeah, but daddy, and I turned around. I was like, yeah, she goes, I just feel like when we're up on the side of a mountain like this, that we're part of a different world. Uh-huh. And I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, she's, she's 12 years old and she got it. Like, 20 years before i could figure it out uh, and i was like whoa that was, a, that was a proud daddy moment of mine
0: nice nice uh, that i love walking up very steep trails mm-hmm. in the rain because there's just so much water under your feet and you're like wow i feel like a kid <laughs> sploshing around in puddles except you're gonna splash around a puddle for like days yep <laughs> So, okay, let's. I want to I move on to our next question here because I think we could continue on that conversation for quite some time. So your book talks about 5 million steps. My question is, what is one easy step that someone can make to take a move towards happiness? Change
2: something in your life, anything. Hairstyle, get a new shirt. Um, walk up to a perfect stranger and say hi my name is whatever your name is Mm -hmm. and super simple things because on my hike I was quite shy and pretty Mm -hmm. reserved I I didn't have a huge social uh, group when I was before my hike I had really really close friends but I was hesitant to branch out so on my hike I decided to Challenge myself in as many ways as I could. So I made a point of talking to strangers, and especially in towns. Just, just approaching people and having a conversation with them, um, inviting people to you know, sit with me at a campsite or you know, just just reaching out to people, you know, trying to be there for other people uh, to try to you know, not be selfish and overly self-absorbed with myself, which I was prior to the hike. And just little th- nothing is going to change overnight. But I think if you do just a little thing, you know, change your hair, any, anything at all. Uh, like I tell my students, um, you know, the best pickup line in the world, if you're looking for a date starts with, hi, my name is mm-hmm. It's like, you know, the worst thing that's going to happen is you have a very short conversation, you yeah. know, or you, you may develop a lifetime friendship just by saying hi, which is, you know, I met Baltimore Jack in this random spot on the trail. And, you know, I was if I hadn't stopped to take five minutes to talk to him, uh, the life that I have now probably would not exist.
0: Mm. You know, I so love that. It, Just one small action.
2: Yeah. It does, it, you, uh, and for me, it's, think, it's, it's like you got to go 2000 miles. You can't do it all at once. Yep. Mm-hmm. So you do it one step at a time. And, uh-huh. you know, if you take a little step to the left, that's going to take you in a slightly different area. If you take a little step to the right, you, you're gonna and take side trails, Blue Blaze, take all the side trails. Because you never know where they're going to take you, uh, but just little tiny changes can have huge incremental impact over a longer period of time. And it's never yeah. too late to start. You know, I thought life was over at the age of thirty-two, and I had no idea.
1: Yeah. So amazing. much happened. Mm-hmm. I love that you mentioned um, taking blue blazes because we talked about that in episode one mm-hmm. with Anthony. Actually, um, and there's so many metaphors because. Mm-hmm. So for those of you who don't know, um, the Appalachian Trail is blazed or marked with um, white paint. If you see those uh, six inch uh, stripes of white paint, you you can follow that north or south um, to each of the um, termini. Termini? Terminuses?
0: <laughs> and,
1: uh, Termini. <laughs> Termini. And um, there are side trails or branches all along the way. And those are typically marked with blue blazes. And a lot of times these blue blazes will take you to a water source, but maybe a waterfall or an overlook or some other mysterious wonder that you can only imagine. Sometimes it leads to nowhere. Exactly. (laughs) Oh, What a beautiful metaphor for life in in that Uh if you're drawn by the sense of wonder and curiosity towards a a path that isn't necessarily the the main road that you're on, you have Mm -hmm. a choice and you can take it and not taking it might not be the end of the world, but it could be an opportunity and you might take it and it might lead to nowhere, but it could leave lead to a change that impacts the entire rest of your life and so i just love that it's a beautiful metaphor for life and an actual real choice and uh situation that you might find yourself on if you're hiking Mm
2: -hmm. well it's like you know you we tend to sometimes fall into what they call a rut and you do the same thing over and over and over and over and over time that rut gets deeper and deeper and deeper and it can be harder and harder to get out of but if you think about hiking around a mountain, you're always at the base of the mountain, just going around and around and around. If you turn even a little bit to the left or to the right, you're gonna end up in an entirely different place. Yeah. Hmm. So, and it, you don't know where it's gonna end, but I, you know, fear is such a huge obstacle to people. You know, the the fear of the unknown, the fear of what if I fail, the fear of what if people think differently of me, or what if people are disappointed in me, or all of those what ifs, you know, Mm -hmm. and and those, so many of those can hold people back. And, you know, I was, I got to tell you, the moment that I knew something was wrong in my life, I was going through my divorce, and I was brought up in a household where you did not get divorced, no matter what, your Mm -hmm. vows were permanent. So I, I stuck it out longer than we should have. And being an idiot, you know, I was trying to fight to keep this relationship together that had no business being together. And mm. we were there was nothing wrong with either one of us. It was just the relationship. Just we were better friends than we were being married. But my not yet ex-wife looked at me and she said, Tell me when the last time you were happy was. And It took a ridiculously long time for me to respond, I don't remember. Mm -hmm. And a little voice in my head said, that's not good. And the next day I called my attorney, got the divorce going, and I made a decision that I was going to make radical changes in my life. And I decided, I think this was a big step for me. I decided that I deserved to be happy. I didn't know what it felt like. Or where I was going to find it or how I was going to get it. But I decided I was going to give it a shot and I was going to try to find it. And I decided that everything that was in my life at that point was holding me back from what I needed to be and who I needed to be. So I just got rid of it all. I walked away from all of it. Kind of an extreme uh, act, but I think that in my own individual situation that was the only thing that i could do was completely remove myself from everything that i considered to be uh, almost toxic because mm-hmm. you know, i never fit in where i lived in the south it just didn't work for me and i just left i walked away and then at a certain point i was no longer walking away i was walking towards something Yeah.
1: And mm.
2: i didn't know what that was either but you know I eventually found it
1: uh. That's so
0: beautiful. Mm. So, you want to move on to the the last question here? I think we have a bonus question for you. Sai.
2: Sure. Just one caveat. Uh, just to make yeah. sure everyone is clear. I am not advocating that you get divorced and go hike the Appalachian <laughs> Trail. <laughs> unless
1: that's what you need to do. <laughs> unless
2: it's unless it's truly what you need to do. But think long and hard. I tend there you to go. Be a, <laughs> so. Fire away. All right.
1: So, okay. So we, we see you and I'm, I'm sure you see yourself as a leader. Um, you know, not only, uh, as a leader of your child, a leader of your students, um, a leader to your readers. Um, so this question is, is regarding, um, leadership. Would you say, Sai, that your ability to lead is getting easier or more difficult as you evolve as a leader?
0: Wow, Um,
2: (laughs) I have struggled with the concept of leadership, I think, my entire life. Uh, I've always been uncomfortable with the idea of being a leader. Um, I think my ability to understand people and situations has grown substantially as I have gotten older and more experienced with people and things. I, I would I would like to actually be thought of maybe as a mentor rather than a leader. Um, because I think I look at things for better or worse a little bit differently than most teachers do and a lot of other people because I'm not really normal. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's a really tough question. Uh, I shy away from leadership roles because I have found that I can get more done without the burden of those leadership labels. Because I mm-hmm. like in education, there's, there's a lot of barriers to getting things accomplished if you're a designated leader, like a principal or a superintendent or even a department coordinator. And I guess I'd kind of like be like the vice president where nobody really pays a lot of attention, but you can get a lot (laughs) done behind the
1: scenes.
2: (laughs) And then if I screw up, I'm like, well, I wasn't actually in charge of anything. So
1: (laughs) yeah, that separation is key. It really is. Yeah. (laughs) I think um, so. I used to be really drawn toward leadership positions. And I think that was more of a, a striving that came from my ego. And I can totally relate to what you said, because I really think that when, when the spotlight is no longer on you, but you know, people are still watching you, your ability to be a role model for change is, is really amplified. It's like, you're, you're out of being judged and being responsible in the ways that we normally think that a leader is, but you still have tremendous impact. Um, I think you have more impact when you're not, you know, right in center stage and yeah. Yeah, That
2: that goes right back to the social and essential selves, you know, that social self that we're putting out there, have all those expectations. And then there's the essential self where you can really be yourself and, you know, sort of be vulnerable to other people and appreciate their vulnerabilities. Where if you're in the spotlight, if you show vulnerability, that's a weakness.
1: Yeah. Mm. 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 Authentic leading. Mm-hmm. All right. So um, the last thing that we have here today, um, this is a feature of the podcast that, you know, we experimented with in number one and it was, um, it turned out to be a great, ender to the podcast. So we're going to continue with that here. And, um, I'm just going to share a quote and we just want to hear your reaction. So this is from the book, invisible monsters by Chuck Palahniuk. Um, also the author of fight club. Uh So I'm a big fan. Um, this quote is the only way to find true happiness is to risk being completely cut open. Reactions, thoughts, feelings from you side. <laughs> yeah, I
2: couldn't agree more. Um, you know, if if you think of happiness as a precious treasure, I don't think you can have a precious treasure without having also the fear of losing it, because mm-hmm. you have to. I think you have to be. Fully acknowledging what you have, to to fully appreciate what it is that you have, you know, kind of a cliche. It's better to have loved and lost than to have never loved at all. You know, it, yeah, that, you got to be willing to 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 risk everything because there can be. Let me. I think there has to be going back to balance. If you're going to have happiness and joy, you also have to have sadness and sorrow. Otherwise, I don't think you can truly recognize what you have without that counterbalance to the other, the yin and the yang. Yeah. So, me before my hike, I didn't know what happiness was. I had to go through this grueling 2,000 mile trek across the country to you know, push myself to the breaking point a couple of times to really understand what happiness was. So, yeah, he's he's an interesting writer. I hadn't, haven't read that. Book of his. Um, but yeah, I like his quote.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing um, your feelings on that. It's so true. It, and it's so, like, for people who don't know, especially young people, the idea of having to go through some risk in order to mm-hmm. find the benefit, the happiness on the other side, it's so mm-hmm. counterintuitive. And the only way you can learn is through experiencing it. So there's really nothing that we can do to logic someone through that or you know it's it's a personal it's a personal journey that you know every human must face on their own
2: it really is and you know with younger people it's i think it's incredibly important that they understand and that you know adults can model to them that it's okay to feel things and, and it's okay to feel scared and jealous and sad and be overwhelmed, those are, those are real legitimate feelings that you have every right to feel, you know, now let's work with, you know, how do you process them, how do you, how do you work with them, you know, how do you get on top of them, and, you know, use them to your advantage in some cases,
0: yeah. Yeah, I I agree, and I I think that a lot of the times people only, like, as humans, we're kind of, like, trained to, see the things that are bad the things that are going to hurt us so that's what we pay attention to Uh and this is something that we kind of talked about over uh the past week you know if you're like if you're skiing down a hill and you're trying not to hit the trees well if you focus on the trees you're going to hit the trees
2: and you're missing out on the rest of the ride
0: yeah (laughs) yeah you're going to miss out on all the the smooth trail in between and you're not going to see what's around you. Same thing with life, if you're just focusing on how bad your life is, how sad you are, and all the bad things that are happening, well, you're just going to be a lot better at seeing all the bad things. Mm -hmm. But if you have the dichotomy of, okay, this is bad, let me look for what is good, because it's Mm -hmm. always there. It may take a few seconds, a minute, a day, or whatever, but Mm -hmm. just always look for the good underneath all the bad that you're just so it's so readily accessible everywhere right.
2: yeah hmm. and you cool. can we can also be the good for someone else just by hmm. simply acknowledging them sometimes
1: that's right
0: yeah acknowledging their pain and saying like hey that that sucks like i hear you and you know that feels good when somebody's like oh i've been heard i've been listened to mm-hmm. That, like you said that's you're right that may be just enough for them to be like wow that person cares about me. And that's good right there. Thank you for bringing that up. So that is the end of our podcast. I wanted to thank you, Sai and Kira. Um, We both really appreciate you being here.
2: This was a lot of fun. I was glad that we could get together today.
1: Great conversation. I'm very inspired. Thank you very much.
0: And I wanted to thank all of our listeners out there for listening to us on. We also have a worksheet if you are interested in how you can uncover your happiness. If you want it, there's a link at the bottom. It's a form you fill out. It's a series of questions that help you figure out who you are now, who you want to be, and how you're going to get there. It's a, it's a great thing we made up for everybody and there'll be a link in the description.
1: And if interested in being on the podcast, there will also be a link for that. So thank you so very much for joining us today. Have a wonderful rest of your day and always keep an eye out for ways to uncover your happiness. And just like our guest side told us today that the, the one small step that you can do is just to make a simple change, any simple change that you can make. So keep an eye out for opportunities in your life to make that small, simple change towards uncovering your happiness. Thank you so much.
2: Bye-bye. Thank you guys.
1: Bye.